and welcome to Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Well, sometimes headlines have words you recognize in them about what's really making New Haven tick. Gale New Haven hires X number of workers. Arm, uh, seamless Rubber hires this many workers. Louis Lunch, still in business. There's another name that you might not see all the time in headlines, but is becoming just an important a part in our economy, and that's our Venice. Our Venice has just made its 10th year of doing business in New Haven as a pharmaceutical company, developing new drugs to fight major diseases like cancer, and it is growing fast. It's taking more and more space, they're staying in town, and they're becoming a pillar of the new biotech economy in New Haven. I'd like you to welcome today Sean Cassidy, who's the Chief Financial Officer, and Steve Weiss, who's the Senior Vice President, Chief Human Resources Officer at Venice. They came in to tell us about what this hot new company in town is up to and what's going to be up to next. Good morning, gentlemen, and thanks for coming. Nice. Good morning. Thanks for having Did, us. Is it Weiss or Weiss? I'm sorry. Weiss, you got it. Weiss, okay. Yeah, thanks for having us. Anyway, congratulations on, is it too loud still? Okay, I turned down. Perfect. Ten you. years in New Haven, and you're, you're been, you are started out in Science Park, correct? Yeah. Developing new drugs. You got approval to develop them. You're making advances. Got venture capital. And now you're employing, I think, what? how many hundred employees is it now? Um, now we're coming up on 450. 450 employees and growing and growing right. and getting new space so uh so tell us uh, the drugs you your the drugs you develop are based on a technology there's a nickname for that technology it's called protac it's based on protein degradation so to those of us who are not scientific research what does that mean <laughs> um so i'm gonna hopefully make craig cruz proud so the cell actually has a natural protein disposal system uh, that happens every day, um, and it's the E3 ligase ubiquitin system. And what, what that actually does is um, there are certain E3 ligases that they will degrade certain proteins, and those proteins need to, need to happen for, uh, uh, for a healthy cell. Uh, what we've been able to do is actually hijack that system, and we can now redirect uh, those E3 ligases to the protein targets of interest, and those would be against protein targets that cause diseases such as cancer and neurological diseases. So... It's a very powerful technology, uh, and we and is have, that what the founder Craig Cruz, who's a scientist at Yale, is that what his major discovery was? How to manipulate those proteins? That's to, exactly to right. To attack diseases. That's exactly right. And based on that, your job then was to turn that into drugs that could save people's lives. That's actually a great way to think about it. Um, the university setting is a great place for for basic research, and Craig's re research was paramount uh, in terms of having this new therapeutic modality. Um, what what our Venice was really there to do was 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 to was to take the take this university idea and really turn it into a commercial entity where you know we've actually over the 10-year period I think this is if it's not the only biotech company it's one of the very few that have been able to take a technology out of university and in a 10-year period in the first two programs uh, that they worked on which is our estrogen receptor program for ER positive breast cancer and our antigen receptor program for metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer, and to bring those from the university setting all the way into the clinic in phase one, successful phase one trials for both programs, into phase two. And now we're actually in phase three, which is the final uh, testing phase in people, um, before you actually have an approved drug. And our breast cancer program uh, is, uh, is in two phase three trials uh, right now, and our prostate cancer program is projected to go into a phase three trial at the end of this year. And I so, mean, all diseases matter. When I think of breast cancer and I think of prostate cancer, I think of what appear to be two of the most common forms. Like they're, they're having all of us get checked 
along with, I guess, colon cancer, have all of us men and women checked at a pretty early age now to, to catch that stuff early, right? That's exactly right. And uh, as you look at uh, our Venice's programs, they're in the later stages right now. And the whole goal, particularly with the Pfizer relationship with our breast cancer program, is to be able to uh, take those in a late, in a late st- setting and commercialize those first and then move them up the treatment paradigm where they may have more impact uh, with a greater number of patients. So in other words, if I understand dir- correctly, what, where you're going to be stepping into a huge void now is when breast cancer or, um, or prostate cancer gets further down, grows worse. That's often the hardest time. I mean, a lot of people say, how much longer do I have to live, doc? And you're saying that with these drugs, more people who get that late stage cancer are going to be able to survive. That's kind of the idea. That, that's exactly right. And you said without you spent a lot of hours fast because you know this stuff cold. Sure. I'm trying to catch up a little no bit. Worries. And I'm glad you did. Um, you said without castration. Tell me what that meant. So metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer, right, is the indication for our, for our antigen receptor program. And that's after somebody has already been diagnosed. They've already been castrated. And actually, the disease itself has metastasized into other areas of their body. Oh, so that's when prostate cancer now you're going to catch it. Because so, often when, when cancer spreads, it gets a lot harder to stop it, correct? That's, that's exactly right. That's, and, what that's you're, exactly. and how does this do that? By looking at the proteins throughout the body and, and rewire them, kind of? I don't know if I'd say it rewires them, but it actually, um, our, our particular drug actually attaches to the androgen receptor. And, and it, it attaches very well to certain mutations within the androgen receptor that may be driving this metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. And uh, we actually degrade, degrade those proteins in lieu of just inhibiting them. That, that really is the fundamental technology that came out of Dr. Cruz's lab uh, at Yale. So in other words, that you don't have to worry about them coming back, you wipe them out. We wipe them out. That's right. That's exactly right. We will wipe out and degrade the androgen receptor. Now, as, as, as everybody looks at cancer, there are certain points in time where cancer will find a different protein for itself, for itself to grow. And that's how you get resistance mechanisms. But we've actually taken a look at and degraded, you know, certain mutations within the androgen receptor. We do that extremely well. Uh, and we expect that to have, you know, really terrific uh, I mean, That's uh, really exciting work. I mean, you're going to work every day doing complicated stuff, pushing a rock up the hill. I mean, 10 years, as you pointed out, is fast to get close to stage three. We don't realize that in the public. Like, yeah. you know, we wanted our COVID vaccinations right away and nobody even paid its attention how incredible it was that in one year, less than a year we got that vaccine. Yeah, there's, 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 two, there's two things that I look back at my history at Arvinus that were, you know, quite frankly, the most uh, satisfying. It wasn't the IPO. Uh, it wasn't the big deal that we did with Pfizer. It was the first time that we actually uh, had a picture uh, of, a, of a tumor of our first prostate cancer, not our first prostate cancer, but a prostate cancer patient in a phase one trial where it was crystal clear that he had a resist response. That was, that was the first thing. And that was really uh, pretty early on uh, in, our, in our phase one trial. That was back in 2019. Where you could see a human being's affected and you, you could can. see something working. You can. And then there was a second time and it's, you know, we were able to actually, uh, this, this particular patient um, sent us a video. Uh, I'm guessing he was in Florida fishing on, on his boat. And this was the first time he was able to actually get out back wow. on the water after being on other therapies. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, he was actually doing really well uh, on, on, our, on our prostate cancer drug and had a terrific video of himself out there fishing with a, with a series of dolphins diving in front of his boat. And when you look at those types of things, those are the things that really, quite frankly, get you back in, into work. That's why you do it. With some passion every day. Yeah. Those are, those, are the, those are the extra special stuff. You got to do everything else well, right? You got to run the company. You got to raise money. Steve's got to hire people. Everything else has to come together too. 
But there are certain things like that that really, quite frankly, do get you up out of bed every morning and say it's, it's time to go to work and it's a great place to be. So it sounds like have some people had cancer in remission because they participated in your trials? Sounds like you had the example of the guy in the boat in Florida. Yeah. Like you're already so not de- saving de- lives, Definitely, cl- lives. There's a lot, a lot of clinical benefit that's happening with both our prostate and our breast cancer. And program. just to review, so our Venus has so far been developing two drugs. One for breast cancer, one for prostate cancer, Well, based on this technology? Well, those are our most advanced programs. We have many, many other programs. Oh, you are looking yes, at we have, yes, and if you, look at, um, if you look at our research group, that'd be the stuff that's not in the clinic yet. Um, and we have a big investment in research. You know, directionally, about 75% of our research goes into oncology, and about 25% of it goes into neuroscience. So we actually have a pretty big neuroscience. Oh, so we're not just talking about cancer? We are not, no. Uh, we actually have a program... Um, that um, that we have nominated a clinical candidate for, which is you know an early stage process right before you go in, into the clinic uh, for LRK2, which is the protein itself, and that'll be for Parkinson's disease. Okay. So because we, we said neuroscience, that's another big thing happening in New Haven. We have the neuroscience center, the science center set up at Yale mm-hmm. for the research, and we have Yale New Haven's neuroscience center under construction um, on off George Street, where we're going to be doing heavy di- duty experimentation with drugs and in depth treatment of people. Are you guys linked up with any of that now with this 25%? You know, uh, no, right now that what I quoted the 25% is all our internal research. And um, I'm sure in the future that we'll, we will be hooked up with, uh, with those centers, particularly uh, once those programs get into the clinic. You're listening to Sean Cassidy and soon Steve Weiss, who are executives at Arvinus. This is one of the fast growing, kind of exciting new uh, leaders of the local economy, our biotech economy. They're developing cancer fighting drugs. And now I just learned today neuroscience related uh, research as well. And they're on the move. So, Steve, how long have you been with the company? I've been with the company now for just over five years. And uh, and your job is hiring the people? It's hiring people, amongst other things. Hiring people has been the big uh, kind of ask for us over the last few years because we've been growing so aggressively. Um, just in the last year, we've hired over 150 people. So Wow. And, wow. It's, and it's all about um, what Sean just described. I would absolutely add on to that. I think, you know, people are attracted to the, to the passion. Uh, that we have for uh, going after some of these devastating diseases. I'm going to ask you to look close to the mic, if that's okay. Sure. Thank you. And um, I think that's a that's a huge driver for everybody that's part of the organization. And, you know, we hear a lot about the challenge of hiring, right? Absolutely. And getting, getting earlier in the pipeline, getting people could take these jobs. Ste- uh, so um, Sean mentioned in passing the Pfizer deal. Was Pfizer coming in as a, a funder and partner in developing some of these drugs? Yeah. I mean, that was specifically to our breast cancer drug, the And that obviously gave you a lot more capital work so you could hire more people. Sure, absolutely. And as you've been growing, have you been hiring researchers? What what kind of people have you been hiring? We've been across the board. I mean, as Sean described, we started out as a research organization many years ago. We've since um, um, kind of transitioned into a development organization uh, and soon to hopefully be a commercial organization. Right, so so you haven't had to hire sales and marketing yet? Not just yet, but we've started to build a leadership team there. So, yes, we have started, actually. I know we always think of Alexion was the first big one to hit in New yep. Haven, and their name is on the tower now. Are you guys kind of like the next, do you see you guys say it was the next Alexion? Or? Well, that's a good success story, so that would be a good <laughs> one to follow. But I think we, are, we, we consider ourselves to be different, different space. And, uh, and tell me about the challenges of hiring right now. What's it take to hire 150 people in a year right now? Because, you know, the job market's been a, yeah. a buyer's market, which I don't think is such a terrible thing, but makes it more for you guys to have to sweeten no, the No, and, right? and it's hiring really good people. I mean, that's the challenge, right? Um, I think we've been incredibly successful at it, but you do have to um, you know, look and talk to a lot of people and, and really kind of hone in on the folks. You know, I heard you see talking when you did a Perosso event at Bar. He was talking about how people wanted to be in New Haven, and this was not a story we used to hear. Yeah. When Science Park, which is where Craig Cruz's research, I guess, hatched the company, when it was founded, the idea was that 
Yale's research would finally be commercialized. There had been a, a culture against that until Rick Levin became president in 93. Science Park came. We're going to get your ideas. We're going to make companies out of them. But for the first 10 or 20 years, we'd go meet the people who invented the stuff, and then they moved to San Diego or some other place where there were more workers, or especially Route 128, where you know a lot more people in, the, in that field. Something seems to have pivoted that in the last 10 years, companies like yours are deciding to stay here. So at that bar event, they, they actually talked about the ambiance that younger workers want to be a place that's kind of fun. You don't have to be Boston, New York, but at least in New Haven, you have fun places to go eat, hang out at night, meet other young people up to stuff. Is that the real reason? Like, why are you here and how's that affecting you? Yeah, I think that's people? part of it. Absolutely. I mean, it, and, and that takes time and it takes an investment both from um, you know, institutions locally as well as government institutions that we can partner with to, to try and do that. I think it's important and it's it's built over time. I mean, is that you're hearing that when you hire people? Is New Haven a plus or a minus or does it depend on the person? You know, it's funny you ask. If, as, and when I started five years ago, um, I would say it was probably more on the neutral side. I just think people didn't necessarily realize what New Haven had to offer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, again, taken time, I think, to get people kind of um, around that idea but it and was experience. Because it wasn't always neutral. I don't think so. No, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. So I mean, even five years ago, it was neutral. What's I'm, happened now? It's the success of uh, companies such as Arbenis. It's the success of companies such as Biohaven. It's the success of, success of um, you know, other smaller companies that are actually coming up in the ecosystem. Um, so I do look at New Haven as one of those up-and-coming biotech sectors. I wouldn't say we're done yet by any way, shape, or form. Uh, we still have critical mass to build. So when you go and you compare, you know, call it a New Haven to uh, to a San Francisco or to uh, to a Cambridge, it's it's small in comparison. Um, and you know, there's still investments that need to be made. Uh, companies like our Venice, um, we're 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 here for the for the long haul. Uh, we expect to be a New Haven company our our entire our entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, but there are things that, that still can be done. As I look back at some of the state policies uh, that have come up, particularly uh, with this last budget cycle, you know, there was a big ask of our state legislature to just match, just match some of the incentives that New York and Boston have done, and they, they decided not to do that. And Tell me what these incentives are. They're, ta they're tax credits for research and development. Um, so that was a big disappointment. That's, a, that's something that I spent a fair amount of time uh, trying to get through the budget cycle, and that was quite, quite frankly shut down. Was there something specific, a specific research and development tax credit? There were, bio, there, there were nothing specific. It was if it was in biotech and it was research and development. And it's a great program uh, that, um, uh, that, that, that the state of Connecticut has. It just happens to be a very small program where you only can exchange a very small percentage of your research and development dollars uh, to offset some tax credits in the future where um, states of Massachusetts and New York are actually have much richer benefits. So it would be good to see the state respond in that air and that and that that manner. To, be, it's going to be tough. And this year would be the easiest year to get it because we have that surplus. You're you're preaching uh, exactly what I was preaching uh, about uh, two or three months ago. So so you so um you're saying, Sean, that in terms of critical mass, why it's needed is that for attracting enough people to work here? Is it for growing enough of a workforce? Like. How does it affect you to be in an environment where our sector's growing? It's there's optimism, but as you say, we're not Route 128. We're not Palo yeah. Alto. What 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 is the impact? It's talent. Of it's really talent. It comes down to talent. Talent attracts capital, right? It attracts a lot of venture capital. It attracts public capital, uh, and it's the talent that you can actually sit there and have an ecosystem where. In biotech, it's a risky business. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. you know, not 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 many are as successful as our Venice. Some of them only have a two-year lifespan, and then they, you know, quite frankly, go away. And if there's another company to pick up that talent, uh, that's a that's a fantastic thing, and that's what I mean about building the ecosystem. 
when you're up in the Cambridge area, you know, there's you know hundreds of biotech companies yeah, I think or that's, even more. I think that's a really important point. So you're saying the tax credits would have convinced more companies to launch here or, or stay here? I, and I, therefore, there I, would be more places for the talent to be attracted to because you had more options. I, I, right. I would agree with that statement 100%, yes. Yeah, particularly when you're looking to relocate people, you know, families. You know, they, they, they're they not going to take that risk unless there are other opportunities available, recognizing how, um, well, how risky this is. That I never heard before. So if I understand you correctly, part of what you have to tell that family is take a risk on moving here with this exciting new company. If you read the history, you'll know there's a good chance it won't make it, but we have enough other companies here that you'll be able to land. And are you saying, are we still not there yet? Do you, does that come yeah, up I a lot absolutely think that's part of the calculus that uh, somebody will go through. Because if they're familiar with the industry, then they'll know it is a risky, it, it is a risky enterprise, and they, they don't always make it. And if there's other options and opportunities available, then they'll want to be uh, you know, available to take care of those. And you can think of a situation where there's um, you know, two partners, both of them work. Um, one of them ha- you know, has this terrific opportunity at our Venice. And the other partner may be working at a biotech in Cambridge, and do you really want to split apart? I think that answer typically is no. But if you can convince somebody that there's enough critical mass of companies that they can come down and that other partner would be able to get you know, another opportunity, uh, it becomes a little bit easier. How as, close are we to that? Uh, we need a couple more Arvenices and uh, probably a couple more Biohavens. <laughs> and we're talking about that uh, on Dateline New Heaven. We're talking to two of the executives of Arvenis, Sean Cassie and Steve Weiss. And their company has is, is sort of hit the jackpot, right? How much money have you raised in venture capital since you started? Well, it's, it's not just venture. Uh, we've raised uh, directionally about a billion dollars of equity uh, dollars, and we brought in another you know, approximately a billion dollars of what we call non-dilutive uh, capital, which is really partner-type capital, right? Upfront payments from uh, partners such as Pfizer, Bayer, um, um, and others. And how much did, did being in New Haven help in addition to have the original researcher create crews? How did... Be in New Haven help you or not help you grow? It helped us grow a lot, particularly in the earlier days. I would say it's it was more of a benefit um, all the way through probably 2017, 2018, where we were able to um, really uh, interact with Dr. Cruz and some of his postdocs, as well as hire some of his postdocs that were coming out of his lab. So they didn't have as much of a learning curve as others may have. It was really important uh, in, in the earlier days. Uh, for us to have that close connection. I remember I was telling you the story about, I, I just remember the stick-in-your thermometer, this guy, this Russian emigre, had the first stick-in-your thermometer, and he had this doll on his desk in Science Park. said, this is great, this is what Science Park's all about. It was the early 80s. And then a year later, he was in San Diego to actually <laughs> make them, because like you're saying, in the early phases, they needed the access to the people who were developing it here, but not when it came to hire people, not when it came to go to market. Yeah. Are, but you're saying you're going to be here for the long haul. Why do you believe you're able to, what makes you think that you'll be able to grow here, continue to grow here? I would say, um, you know, we've already grown here uh, and we've already shown success on that. When you have um, the excitement around the programs uh, that we have really big oncology indications, it'll attract the right people. Uh, when, this, when, the, when the programs work out, when the science is sound, you can attract the right people. I know you talked about how, and I want to blame the couple for not wanting to be split between Cambridge and New York, I mean, and New Haven. What does surprise me is that some couples, I don't know if they have kids, do do the New York New Haven split? And some of them live here, like they live at like 360 State or Corsair. Yep. Why is that? I mean, is a shorter train ride to New York, or or New York is just so unlivable compared to Cambridge for some people? I don't know. It's like hard to make it or co- the cost of living. I, I don't yeah, know. It'd be hard for me to comment on that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure every situation it's is different. very different yeah. on how people people decide to uh, uh, choose where they live. But I, I'll tell you, Connecticut has a tremendous number of benefits. When you look at uh, New York, a lot, a lot of its cost, cost of living, the education here is fantastic. Uh, the train system here is great. 
The traffic in Fairfield County is a little bit rough, but outside of New Haven, it's not that bad. And you compare that to the traffic up in Cambridge, uh, this should be and is a very attractive place uh, to raise a family. So, I love raising my family here. Like I really, I've been so here over 40 years. Yep. Yeah. And so what kind of people are you hiring these days? Do you have openings right now? We do. Uh, we continue to hire in our research organization. As I mentioned, uh, we're building up the development organization as well, so across many different functions there. And on the, the GNA side, we continue to hire, so it's across the board. The, the GNA? Uh, general Administrative. So if you're talking so about you're finance, uh, HR, research, IT. You continue to hire finance. You're developing a marketing team or no? Sales and marketing? or that's We are no. developing a sales and marketing commercial organization, yes. And you're also moving, right? So you're going to have two locations. You're going to be... You're moving into three floors, 160,000 square feet at the 101 College Bioscience Tower. Tell me about that. I yeah, guess. it's a fantastic development, and it kind of shows some of those things that are going to need some of the critical mass here in New Haven in the future. Uh, if you look at the way that building uh, is, is allocated out, right, we have, we have three floors, which is great. Obviously, one of the more, most successful biotech companies, I believe, uh, here, in the, here in the city. But Yale's in a piece of that, right, for, you know, to kind of have that connection. And then there's also a biolabs component to that where, you know, you really have the ability for true entrepreneurs to rent a lab bench or two or three over a short period of time to kind of prove out some of their ideas. And, and that some of goes to your point about the ecosystem. That goes to my Am point I right? about the there's ecosystem. There's not a direct, like you're not going to go downstairs in the elevator and meet the person who's now going to do something for your company, but you're going to meet someone who's going to have another successful company maybe that the spouse of someone you're trying to hire could work for. That's, exact, that's exactly right. And what's nervous is that the building is going to be, I don't know if this is just marketing or if it's going to be a big impact. They're going to be bringing high school kids in, right? High school and community college people are going to have um, labs in that building, if I'm not mistaken. That's internships. Part of the bio, I believe that's part of the biolabs. Um, okay, uh, not just the entrepreneurs. That, yeah. And are you also still going to be at Science Park? I know your lease is running out there. Uh, we are going to we are going to be at Science Park. Yeah, we'll have a two. We're going to be at two location. Uh, and what's going to be the, the philosophy behind it? Is one more research, one more development? Yeah, I would say um, the, the Science Park area would be more research-driven, uh, and then um, um, 101 College would be more development uh, and commercial. And by development, you're still going to have labs there, right? The plan is to have labs, absolutely. So I'm ignorant about this. So if the research is going on Science Park, when you're developing, you're still going to need to do lab work because you're going to analyze test results or no, we'll, more developing the product? No, we'll, we'll have labs in both locations uh, at some point. Uh, but initially... We're going to keep our labs uh, here in New Haven. It's fairly disruptive to shut your lab down for a period of time and then get it up and running at another at another facility. Um, so we'll, we'll have a slow transition into labs over at, uh, over at 101. And we've, we've grown our footprint significantly in Science Park, so right. we've put a lot of new lab space in there. 9,000 square feet. Yeah. Are you going to be there long term? That's, it's, that's it's more than 9,000 square feet. Oh, yeah. I thought you had no, your lease was 2018 was 9,645. Say again? In 2018, I thought it was 96.45. It may have been in 2018, but it's 2023. Yeah, we've grown a lot since then. We're probably about 60,000 square feet. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's way And we're busting at the seams. So what's going to happen to those 60,000 square feet eventually? Uh, Right now, our plan is to to keep it. And, you know, that place is... That also had a, a, a delayed realization of a stream of size park. Now trying the developers come in. They're really building up the housing around there. Yeah, they are. And you know those two huge housing developments happening right down the block on Munster yep. Street and Henry. What What's that going to look like in five years? Like, what, What's Science Park going to be like? I saw some of Twining's plans, and it looks like it's going to be absolutely beautiful. I know. You looked at one of those like places that's been empty for at least 50 years or so polluted right up the yeah. hill on Hillside, mm-hmm. and that's going to be like market-rate housing. That was a... That's exactly right. We had an old joke at the company. We called that the Freddy Krueger building. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great name for it. <laughs> I used to live a block away. It definitely felt like Freddy Krueger. 
<laughs> there, there were times in the earlier days when I actually had time to take a walk around the block at lunchtime, and I'd look in there, and I'd be a little bit nervous uh, because it just looked like Freddy Krueger was sitting right around the corner. And then right tucked in that building, what was the name of the college um, payments company that went so big and they built the google like company and then they had the scandal and they went out what was that that's a good question. that was a strike they were supposed to be the future but what struck me about that is sort of like how you guys are really the the hoped for tech industry that succeeded whereas we were trying to chase some other kinds of ones in new haven to see what would stick against the wall i mean do you think despite the challenges that you're seeing sean do you think that that the bio the pharma and the biomedical stuff is going to work long time in new haven I would say it's worked. It already has worked a long time in New Haven. You go back to earlier days that you guys probably don't remember, Neurogen, Curigen, those were I also do. big those are big companies. Brantford. Yep, that, they were around. Um, you know, I think I think it's always worked. It just still needs to get that critical mass um, for it to be a hub. I, I would say it's almost a hub, but it's not quite it's not quite there yet. It'll be great to see it to, to see it uh, become a hub one of these days. Um, but you see other companies that were just so successful, like Alexion. I mean, that's one of the most successful biotech. And we almost lost them, and then it turned out they went somewhat to Cambridge, but went Boston, but they kept yeah, right here. I, I think at the, the end of the day, that, that's a good um, that's a good story around critical mass, right? At the end of the day, Alexion got acquired, and that happens with biotech. It happens all the time, and that's actually a good thing. Yeah, and they started right. in Science Park as well. That's right. Right. And then Cheshire, our fear then was they back. got the breaks to build that building, and then they were going to ask for the breaks back because then when they got bought out, they moved the, ex- the executive offices to Massachusetts. But then in the end, they decided to keep the labs here, which was the Baby. big question that was left here. That's right. But we're and glad they kept them. We're, we're, no, <laughs> yeah. we are, we're glad they kept them. Before uh, I go, I want to ask each of you how you got into this work. Sean, you've been five years. It sounds like, like Sean, you've been with the Irvinus since the beginning? Yeah, a um, little over 10 years. And what were you doing before that? You mentioned some other I was company. at another Yale spin-out uh, called Exerion Therapeutics. Before that, uh, I was a chief financial officer at Curigen. And, and were bef- you always in the finance side of it? Uh, yeah, usually as a chief financial officer. Before that, 454 Life Sciences, which um, developed and commercialized the next generation of DNA sequencing machines. And how did you get into that field? You know, when I was, um, I actually started out in public accounting uh, with Deloitte up in the Hartford area. And, you know, as I, as I looked at my career when I was, you know, much younger than I am now, I had a choice to, you know, leave Deloitte and go into what I would call big insurance companies. I use that as a generic term or try and, you know, go to um, uh, companies that are really, you know, out there with products trying to help people. And at the end of the day, um, what was more satisfying for me was, you know, looking at companies that could potentially really change purpose the lives driven. of people. It's purpose-driven, yeah. What was the moment? Were you already interested in biotech, biomedical, or did someone you know post an ad and you just kind of saw it and you said, I want to try this out? Well, when it was when it was okay to do this, one of my clients, when I was at Deloitte, was Curage, and I helped them go public when I was, oh. when I was, at, when I was at Deloitte. And I ended up having a lot of colleagues and friends uh, that actually worked there. And they eventually recruited me to come there, and I and that's how I that's how I ended up there. And you got the, you know, I always could see that you know, even I'm a reporter, you could really feel the excitement people have in the kind of entrepreneurial biotech field, that they really feel like they're taking scientific knowledge, financial knowledge, and doing it in a way that they could see that you know, you mentioned the video in Florida, you kind of feel like it's for a reason, it's for a point. It is for a point. It's still a business at the end of the day, but it is for a point. It's got that extra special 
kick to it. And to, yeah. I know you're around people are kind of like really smart. You got the Craig Cruz type people going in the room. <laughs> who are like inventing stuff and figuring out stuff. We got a lot of smart people. We do. Yeah. Yeah. We do. And Steve, how did you get in? You said five years. What, what's your background? Yeah. So prior to Arvinus, I was in another uh, bio company in New Haven. Uh, I was there for about five years. And then prior to that, I was completely different industries. Um, what industry you services. in? Uh, I worked for General Electric, United Technologies. Worked for an asset management firm, law firm. So and very, you're always in human resources and hiring? Correct. Yeah. And what brought you here? Um, actually, I started with the other biopharma company uh, roughly 10 years ago, um, really enjoyed it. And I, I think what we had talked about and what Sean was reflecting back on was just the connection, I think, that you get with patients, with families, the opportunity to be a part of something really special. Well, since that you're in finance and you watch that video of the guy in Florida, is there a real point when you work at a company list that humorous and finance are also going to be brought into the room to see the you human impact. You, 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 you all have a common You have mission. an opportunity to interact Absolutely. with uh, patients that suffer from these diseases and talk uh, to their families, and you really hear some just tough stories, and, and to be a part of potentially addressing that um, is, is really, again, something very special. You just don't get that in most industries. And Steve, so you've had 10 years in this field with human resources mm-hmm. and a longer degree. Did you notice a difference of what kind of people you're attracting or seeking to attract in this field in human resources, and has that changed or evolved? Over the last five I years. I think it's similar. And I think it goes back to that passion. Um, you know, some of the things we talked about. It's it's fascinating to me that it's not unusual for a researcher or scientist to, to be involved with a program or a company and for the entire career never actually see something make it to the patients in the end as a commercial organization. That to me talks to the just the dedication and the passion you have to have. Um, to, to be in this industry. You, you, you just don't see that many places or well, any other places. going strong, helping New Haven go strong. To summarize, you're working 75% of your work on cancer-related drugs based on this technology, roughly 25% in other kinds of drugs. You have two ones in two uh, later stages of clinical trials. When is the soonest we're going to see a drug in market? So we've uh, committed externally that we'll actually have a data release around the success of our um our uh, phase three second line trial that's the one in partnership with pfizer around our breast cancer and if you want to map that out typically about a year after that you'll be a commercial organization although we have been specific on that externally but what like what would be the year we would see you guys that would be that would be 25. all right it's not that far away not that far away at all all right keep it up guys thank you thank you thanks for growing in new haven we love to have you here happy to be here sean cassidy cfo steve weiss senior vice president chief human resources at arvinus one of new haven's Fast-growing major employers. And, uh, thanks for joining us in Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Harry Droz for working the controls. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio.